The text for this afternoon is based on the word of the Lord as the church confesses it and has summarized it in Lord's Day 46. Lord's Day 46 of the Heidelberg Catechism. You can find that on page 555 in the back of your book of praise. Why has Christ commanded us to address God as our Father? To awaken in us at the very beginning of our prayer that childlike reverence and trust toward God, which should be basic to our prayer. God has become our Father through Christ and will much less deny us what we ask of him in faith than our fathers would refuse us earthly things. Why is there added in heaven? These words teach us not to think of God's heavenly majesty in an earthly manner and to expect from his almighty power all things we need for body and soul. After the sermon, we will sing together from hymn 63, stanza 1. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, when our Lord Jesus commands us to address God as Father, he means to awaken in us at the very beginning of our prayer a childlike reverence and trust. Perhaps that seems straightforward and even obvious. Every Sunday morning when we hear the Ten Commandments, it includes those very familiar words from the Fifth Commandment, honor your father and your mother. We all understand that no child can have a relationship with his or her father without reverence. On the other hand, the idea that fatherhood and fathers should be respected, that doesn't get a lot of support in our society anymore. Everywhere in the media, whether it's on television or in the paper print, husbands and fathers are often portrayed as bumbling buffoons. And the sad truth is that there are millions of fathers who deserve exactly that image. They don't take their responsibilities seriously, and they don't provide godly leadership in their homes. In fact, many fathers do the opposite, and they horribly abuse their positions. And this also happens in the family of God. And so for some people, the name father evokes images of torment and pain and loathing, even self-loathing. For people who have had and have such fathers, it becomes difficult to think of God as a loving father. 
then the address, Our Father in Heaven, can be mixed with feelings of anger and even guilt. And yet our Lord Jesus commands us to address God in this way. And we should not second-guess that command of our Lord Jesus. We have a Savior who knows us so well. Jesus knew what he was doing when he gave us this prayer. Was he not abandoned by his own Father on the cross? And yet he tells us to say, Our Father in heaven. That's because our Father in heaven is different, brothers and sisters. Different and far better than even the best earthly father could ever be. He is unique and he is perfect. All earthly fatherhood is just a faint shadow of the heavenly fatherhood of God. Now, it doesn't mean that we need to despair about earthly fatherhood either. By God's grace, Christian men can and do show their wives and children the love of God in Jesus Christ by the way in which they conduct themselves in their homes and in their families. But because God, our God, is perfect, He's almighty, He's perfectly loving and gracious, the name Father in heaven, it awakens in us a childlike reverence and trust. And that's why Jesus commands us to use this address to God. And that's also our theme for this afternoon. Christ commands us to address God as Father. And we'll pay attention to three things that, in the first place, it evokes in us a childlike reverence, in the second place, a trusting faith, and in the third place, a confident expectation. The address... Our Father is its wonderfully simple, isn't it? You see, in Jesus' day, the common word for Father was Abba. Abba, Father. It was a very simple and common term, just like our word Daddy. Every child in Jesus' day learned to address their Father that way. It's a very intimate term. If you've ever witnessed a child accidentally call the wrong man Father, you know what their reaction is. That child's immediately embarrassed and looks around for their real daddy. Daddy means, I love you. Daddy means, we belong together. I feel safe with you. What other word evokes images of gentleness and kindness and strength and authority as the word father? But it means more than that, congregation. It includes reverence and respect for how can you have an intimate child-father relationship without respect? The relationship is intimate because of the bond of love, but it's also full of reverence because father is not our equal. If God commands us to honor our earthly parents, then how much more is it not important to honor our Father in heaven? It's good for us to ask where that name for God came from. Where does that image for God come from, and what does it mean for us? 
this image of childlike reverence and trust, this image of fatherhood, the fatherhood of God. Well, it goes a long way back, all the way back to creation. God established that kind of relationship with his children already in paradise with Adam. We read in Genesis 1 that God created man in his own image. That means nothing less than that Adam was the son of God, his spiritual son. The relationship God had with Adam existed simply because of the bond that there was, there was between the creator and the created being, Adam. For it was God himself who breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life. Just think about that. The almighty creator of heaven and earth, who had just made the entire cosmos, who had just fixed all the stars in place, put the planets in their orbit, made the sun and the moon and the stars, this God breathed into Adam the breath of life. He did it for no other creature. So there was an immediate close bond between God and Adam. It wasn't a relationship that had to be put in place like the covenantal relationship God had with Abraham or with the Israelites or with us. No, instead, the relationship between God and Adam was based on Adam receiving the image of his father who had created him. And because Adam carried his father's image, he had a perfectly harmonious relationship with his heavenly creator father. A relationship childlike reverence and trust, a relationship of love. Brothers and sisters, you and I are also created in the image of God. We too are creatures made by our Heavenly Father. Think of Psalm 139, which we just sang together. For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. We are children brothers and sisters, children created and formed by our Father. And being children means that we must respect and reverence our Father. It means that we recognize our position as children. We are the clay. Our Father is the potter. We are creatures. He is God. We are finite. He is infinite. We are weak. He is almighty. We are not equals. And our Father has put boundaries in place for us to remember just that. He already did that in paradise with Adam. You shall not eat from that tree. Adam had to respect the boundaries that his father put in place. And he had to trust his father in a childlike way, in reverence and trust, that this boundary was there for his good. And Adam and his father had a perfect relationship. It was perfectly harmonious because Adam knew his place. But then sin entered the world, and Adam became a rebellious son. And that childlike reverence and trust was destroyed. In fact, Adam threw the sonship away. But the father did not throw his fatherhood away. 
He did not change. He remained a father for his children. He immediately showed himself to be a loving and a just father, for he came into the Garden of Eden and he called to his rebellious son, Adam, where are you? And it didn't stop there, brothers and sisters. It didn't stop there. He continued to act as a loving and gracious father. He continued to choose children for himself from the descendants of Adam and Eve. And he raised up a nation for himself, Israel. And he called them my firstborn son, Exodus 4.22. He was their creator and their father. But because his children were now sinful people, the love and the respect that they owed to their Father in heaven, it no longer welled up spontaneously out of their hearts. God the Father now had to teach his children how to respect him. And he did this in a most loving and fatherly way. As a father, God guided his children through the wilderness. He gave them his law. He made a covenant with them. And they as they grew and matured, he taught them, he disciplined them. Yes, at times he also had to punish them, but he also loved them and forgave them when they repented. The prophet Isaiah recounts the fatherly kindnesses of the Lord toward his children. In chapter 63, in all their distress, he too was distressed. In his love and his mercy, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and he carried them. The prophet Hosea also gives a moving description of how God deals with his people. As a father with a child, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk taking them by the arms. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. I lifted the yoke from their neck and bent down to feed them. Can you think of a more beautiful description of a father's love? And this is our God. This is our Father, brothers and sisters. Our Father in whom we as children may place our trust and confidence. How can we not reverence him? He created his first child in his own image, and he breathed into him the breath of life. He brought forth his children as a nation from Egypt. He cared for them when they were distressed. He carried them in his arms when they stumbled. He took them by the hand. He taught them how to walk. He led them to the promised land and gave them a rich inheritance. He had so much patience with his children. He was their father. And it is also our privilege to call this God our Father in heaven, our Abba. And as our Father, he desires a close relationship with his children an intimate relationship. But so often God's children disappoint him. In those same passages from Isaiah and Hosea, we also hear the Father's complaint. They grieved his Holy Spirit. And the Lord laments, the more I called to them, the further they went from me. 
The prophet Malachi also tells us about the father's complaint. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me? Says the Lord Almighty. It grieves the father immensely when when his children fail to love him and to give him the honor and the reverence that is his right. It grieves the father when we as children don't trust him, when we think that we know it better, when we ignore his commands and we ignore the boundaries that he has set in place for our relationship. So often we tend to put God in boundaries of our own design. And we think that he fits a certain mold, a mold of our own making. The Apostle Paul tells us that this is not so. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives to all men life and breath and everything else. This is not a father to be addressed casually. And sometimes we think that he will let us get away with things that he's only a redeemer and not a judge, but he is both brothers and sisters. But the staggering reality is that the fatherhood of God is greater than our grievances toward him. His fatherly love for us is so great that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should become his son or daughter. He redeemed us, and he adopted us as sons and daughters by condemning his only begotten son. That's the kind of father that we have. A father to reverence and to respect. A father to honor and obey. A father to love and to trust humbly and simply like children. It is a love and respect It's grounded in the love our Father has shown to us in His Son, Jesus Christ. And that's our second point. For it is only through faith in Jesus Christ that you and I call God our Heavenly Father. The Catechism continues with the words, God has become our Father through Christ. Without Christ, God cannot be our Father. Jesus himself says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And just as Adam was God's spiritual son, so we now have a spiritual relationship with God through the work of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And this connection is wonderfully portrayed in the genealogy of Christ that we find in Luke chapter 3. There we have a list of Jesus' ancestors. And that list begins with Jesus himself and works backwards through the generations until we get to Luke 3, verse 38. And we end with the names of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, 
the Son of God. Here Adam is purposefully named the Son of God. Isn't that remarkable? Didn't we hear earlier that Adam really threw away the sonship in the Garden of Eden? But just as we witness the unchanging love and the mercy of our Father throughout the history of God's people in the Old Testament, we see it here in the New Testament as well. In fact, this is where the love of the Father shines even brighter. For when Jesus came to earth, he revealed to us the Father like he was never revealed before. Jesus showed us how far the Father was willing to go in order to save his children from the curse of sin. You realize, congregation, that whenever Jesus prayed in the New Testament, he addresses God as Abba. But it was on the cross where Jesus prayed for the first time without using that address. He was so, so far separated from his Father that he could only cry out, My God, my God. Yes, brothers and sisters, the Father's love is so great that he was willing to give up his dearly beloved Son, his only begotten Son. And no one can ever fathom the depths of the Father's grief when that Son suffered and died. And yet our Father did it. For you and for me, he forsook that son so that we might never be forsaken by him. And that's how Adam's name could get on that list in Luke chapter 3. In Jesus Christ, the Father renewed in Adam the breath of life, which he had first breathed into him in paradise. And that is how we too may be called sons, children of God. For we, God's children, have dwelling in us the life-giving Spirit. And so anyone who wishes to have God as Father must have faith in Jesus Christ. Trusting the Father means trusting Jesus. If we have no faith in Christ, we will receive no blessing from God's fatherhood. If there's no faith, then God will become our enemy. We read that as well in Isaiah 63. When Israel rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit, then he turned and became their enemy, and he himself fought against them. We may never take our Father in heaven for granted. By nature, we are children of wrath, not children of God. And we may not make the conclusion that just because we belong to God's people, that we are in the covenant, that God is automatically our Father, no matter how we live. Our Heavenly Father does not put up with rebellion. He doesn't put up with children who don't obey Him. For then He wouldn't be Father. He wouldn't be honest about the boundaries that He has set in place for us. And then we could never trust Him. Because He is holy and almighty, He demands respect and reverence and trusting faith. Because already in the Old Testament, He called His people to obedience and faith. In the Old Testament, the believers had to trust in His promises. And in the New Testament, that call is even stronger. 
For we have seen those promises fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so we have no excuse to forego those blessings, the blessings offered by our Father in heaven. For faith and obedience go hand in hand. If we want to call God our Father, then we have to act like His children, believing children who trust and obey their Father. When we see what the Father has done for us through Jesus Christ, does that not awaken in us a trusting faith, a childlike reverence and awe? And that's what our Father wants from us. He wants us to be His humble children. He wants us to trust Him and to believe in Him. And He also wants to provide for us, to care for us, for our Father is also our Almighty God. And so we can also confidently expect that He will provide for our every need. And that's our final point. Christ taught us not only to address God as Father, but as our Father in heaven. That means that we must not begin to treat Him with disrespect or treat Him casually, not become overly familiar with Him, like many children do with their earthly fathers. Neither must we have low expectations of our Heavenly Father. We mustn't think about Him in an earthly manner. That, too, would lead to disrespect and suspicion instead of reverence and trust. We may not drag God down to our level of thinking. We have a Heavenly Father who is unique. There's no one who can compare with Him. He knows everything. He sees everything. He's almighty. He has no limitations. And He does whatever He wills because He has the right to do so. But here's where we can have our questions. Can I really trust my Father in heaven, and can I really expect everything I need from Him? If my Heavenly Father is almighty, and He loves me so much, why does He let bad things happen? Well, along with believers from the beginning of time, we have those kinds of questions. David must have wondered too, at times, why God allowed Saul to hound him for so many years like a criminal. And the children of Jacob must have wondered why, why they had to be slaves in Egypt for so many years. And we wonder why there's so much evil in the world. And we have our personal fears, our sorrows to contend with. Why did I have to lose a son or a daughter? Why does God allow me to live with pain every day? We have so many questions. The Old Testament patriarch Job, he had his questions too. But what was the Lord's answer? Did God tell Job why he had to suffer? No, he didn't. Instead, he told Job who he was the almighty creator and controller of heaven and earth. Just read the five, 
the last five chapters of Job sometime. You could sum it up with the words of Psalm 46, Be still, Job. Be still and know that I am God. That's all Job needed to know. And that's all we need to know as well. It simply comes down to a matter of faith. Job had to believe it. And so do we. The same father who led his children from slavery in Egypt through the wilderness and into the promised land, he is leading us to the eternal promised land. That's what we need to keep in mind, brothers and sisters. Our father is looking out for our future. That's the ultimate reality of what we confess when we say that we expect all things from God's almighty power. All things necessary for body and soul. And we may, and we must call this God our Father in heaven. Perhaps he seems a little too distant because he's in heaven. Too glorious, too mighty, too unapproachable. But that is precisely why our Lord Jesus commanded us to pray in this way. Because of ourselves, we might not dare to call this almighty God with such a familiar name. But Jesus tells us when you pray, say, our Father in heaven. He knows each of one of you so well. Because he formed you, your inward parts, your heart and your mind. He shaped them in your mother's womb. He knows each one of us through and through. Brothers and sisters, with such a father, we have every reason to expect all things from his hand, all things necessary for body and soul. We may never think God can't do it. When we have a trusting faith in our heavenly father, that means that we also dare to expect all things from him. He who did not spare his only begotten son, but gave him up for us, will he not also give us all things with him? When we address God as our Father in heaven, that means we respect and obey him. We expect all things from him, and we trust him implicitly, without reservations, and we do so in the firm confidence that Father knows best. Just as Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, we place ourselves before the throne of the Father and say, Abba, Father, not my will, but your will be done. But that, that doesn't mean that we give up on what we ask for, but we conform our will to the will of our Father. What comfort this addition to the Lord's Prayer gives us, congregation. We have a God who is our Father. He's almighty. He never changes. And he's always faithful. His promises have never failed and they never will. And so we may look to the future with confidence. For in our Father's house are many rooms. And Jesus Christ has gone before us to prepare a place for us so that someday we may all dwell with our Heavenly Father forever.
Amen.